Welcome back to another GVO podcast, the Good Vibes Only podcast. On today's episode, we have a very special guest on, Richard, the coach of the local Budapest Exiles team. On today's episode, we talk about how it is to live in an underrated city like Budapest. We talk a little bit about rugby and somehow get to the UK rave scene. And actually much, much more. As usual, we are uncut, unfiltered and uncensored and enjoy today's episode. So, on Ingot, like, I wanted to get, like, my own apartment. Yeah. And, like, realistically, I don't know, maybe I'm just a bit full of shit. But I'm not living in a place where my kitchen and my bedroom... And everything is like one studio, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, studio. Yeah. But I don't know. I just like my room separate. Mm-hmm. I, that's just something I prefer. Okay. And I mean, it got expensive. Like it got like I was looking at at least six hundred, six hundred right. euros if I wanted the minimum what I wanted, yeah. close to yeah. And then this place popped up, and yeah. I was like, that's a steal. I've, in my personal opinion, for what we are getting. How long you been here? This is now our first. I'm five months. Five four months. or five months. Yeah, it's our first time renting here. So I found when I first came over, I uh, was at just Kirai again, living on Kirai. It's two two beds, two bed house. Like one room was a small room, but I was paying what two. 220 a month that's like foreign 220k foreign per month for bills and everything and that's two beds so i mean that's good that's it was good it's not it wasn't like it wasn't like a very modern apartment but it did what it did it was right in the city center and it had what it needed to have i did have like a my bedroom was actually quite good because there was a mezzanine where the bed was and then there was another guest beds underneath so i could literally have I had a big living room, so I had like three or four spaces for people to sleep in that. So oh, class! But it was good. But yeah, and then I think like COVID happened. I stayed there for another year, and I, I said to the guy, "Look, give it to me for one eighty all in, and I'll stay. If not, I'll find somewhere else to stay." And he was so the landlord was like, "Yeah, fine, stay." stay. Oh, legend! I thought so, like yeah. normally they say like. Mate, Either they cut it like the same as last yeah. year or like they raise it up by like 10%. Yes, it's COVID though, so I kind of, I, I flexed my way, like I basically, the, the market's fucked because no, no one's coming in, like no more like uh, t- like tourists, um, you know, students, nothing was coming into the country. So like for him to find another long-term one-year tenant, during COVID, yeah, like yeah, yeah it was hard. Was just saying so, yeah, so I, I, I kind of maybe took advantage of that fact, but like, you know, you got to play the game that you're playing, you know. And but it was good, man. But then I moved out, and the flat that I bought now, that where I'm living with Rana, I mean, the the rent, the monthly mortgage on that, I won't say what it is, but it's affordable. It's but again, affordable. it's like it's. It's not the biggest of flats. It's like 63. I don't know if you've been around it whenever I've been drunk, but 63 squared metres or whatever. But it's like 50 metres from the hive. Oh, glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, opposite where Joe lives. And that. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I've been to their apartment yeah. like once, I think, when they just moved in. Yeah. You know, actually, well, there's probably their story to tell, but when they moved in, they used to be like a Russian owner mm. or something. And like they say, they moved in and there was like this big, I don't know, flag or propaganda or like Russian thing like hanged up in the house. And like the first thing they did, they just rolled it up and took it out, shipped it off somewhere. But... Yeah, I've no idea, man. Like, there was like a couple of streets parallel to where, you know, with the one that you go up plus uh, Kulevesh. Do you know Kulevesh? Then like, there's so Joe's is here, and there's the road that goes up. Yeah, and the road that goes down towards like Simpler and that. Street over, running parallel to like Kishuzem, another good pub, another good bar in um in District Seven. There's this mural about. Putin and that riding this horse, or I think I think he's actually painted as a senator, you know. So there's the Putin. The time, the time magazine yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I know yeah, what you're talking yeah. about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I lo- and like honestly, I love this year, so I love, It's really. Cool. Oh, like yeah, it's class. I, I also wanted to hear, so you were in Budapest before COVID happened, and then yeah. after COVID, or well, you're still here now. Yeah. Like, how is the city like? beforehand compared to that because i came here like end stages of covid like yeah. 2020 and like start 2020 i first moved in here and it was you know it was quiet city it was like it definitely wasn't quiet and like maybe the last six or eight months whatever year two years it's, it has been what it was like before i think you know, when I first got here, it was all a bit of a blur. I was just got into the job and I met this Hungarian girl on the plane coming over. So I was dating her for about eight, nine months and just just getting drunk a lot, you know. So we were out in the towns and like, I don't know, it's just like at the, in the UK when I was working in the UK, I wouldn't necessarily drink much during the week, but we'd go out and we'd get smashed and there was always that vibe, like we, we loved Grind. I was always in Grind's like once, twice a week. But yeah, so it, I mean, then when COVID happened, it, it changed a big time, right? It changed big Cause time. Because Budapest has that, like, every time I fly back from South Africa and land here, it's like a cloud that comes over, but not a bad cloud. It's just like, I don't know, Budapest has yeah. a vibe on it. Yeah. You just want to sort of, yeah. the odds of you going out in the week is like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's like flipping yeah. a coin. It's like fifty-fifty. <laughs> I try and manage it more now because like I can't just yeah, I can't just get smashed all the time. But it's it. I think what you're saying that vibe about Budapest is so amazing. The number of people that I know that have come here and they've come here and are up here for one or two years, and then they end up being here for like ten or fifteen years. It's 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 like it's. It is such a cool vibe to sit in. It's very kind of... I don't know how to describe it, but... Yeah, like that cloud and that energy you get from coming back. I love it, man. And I don't think I'll be going anywhere. I, yeah, I also enjoy Budapest a lot. It's like, I don't know. It's a very underrated city, in my opinion. Like, people like... You can always give shit about, like, Hungary, this and that. Foreign and all this stuff. And, yeah. like... But, like, the city itself... It's, yeah, if you walk around like down the river, you know, down the Danube, and yeah. you see like Buddha Castle, uh, Fisherman's Bastion, Gellerfield, even the Parliament. Like, if you just walk down there, like 
on a sunny day, because most of the time in yeah. Hungary it's sunny, it's it's like you can't think of a better city. Well, they call it they call it the pearl of the Danube, don't they? Of how like, beautiful it is, and like my favorite spot in the city is on Margaret Bridge. When it's dark though, because when when you're at Margaret Bridge, oh, you're yes. looking down the Danube, and you've got like the Parliament, and then you've got the Castle and Gather Hill, and it's all lit up. It, it's it's just stunning. It it's beautiful. so stunning, and like. Yeah, man, it's, it's, a, it's a cool place to live, man. Yeah. And, like, the tourists come here just to party. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. The, that's yeah. the thing. They just flood into the 7th yeah. district and it's just party. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how much, like, you know, on, on their socials and that, I see this, uh, like, this video of uh, some Hungarian dude, and, like, I, I, I get a bit of a wreck because of my accent, Okay, so like the Hungarians, I don't think they necessarily appreciate the English. And then when we come, like you know what the English are like, very loud, and they come here with stag parties, yeah, very drunk, and like you know the the thing, and like this the, anyway the, about the guy on the socials, he's, he's made this video about oh I, fuck, I hate all tourists or oh, I love Palenka, I hate the English taking over the city, but I hate tourists, and I'm like I, I feel so connected to the city now that I also hate the, the tourists. Mostly also the English ones, because they are like, <laughs> like I wake up, because like I said, where I live, oh, 50 yeah. metres from Hive, yeah. nine times out of ten, if I come out on a Sunday morning, there's a patch of puke by where my gate opens onto the street. So you have to like always just step over it. It's a bit frustrating, but it's clean away. But that's like the party's central, literally that's yeah. where like Hive yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. The amount of times I didn't want to go to Hive. And yeah. end up going to Hive, like, uncountable. Like, it's just, it just happens. It's just, ah. I don't know if anyone else has ever managed to achieve what I have when going to the Hive, but I got there once with my mate Louis, who we were talking about earlier. And essentially, the bouncer told me I was too drunk to come in. <laughs> so I, I was like, yes, I can go home. Because I, I was steaming, and, you know, and I was just like, I just went home and it was great, but... Uh, I, I, I tend to avoid the higher flight. And like, it, sometimes it gets to like, it gets repetitive because somehow every weekend you don't plan it, but it just happens sort of. It's just like, I don't know. We are, you finish drinks somewhere at one or other bar. I had a good time. The night can't end right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. We need to go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And then the first thing that pops up in someone's mind is, hive? It's like a whisper, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it just spreads everywhere. And just everyone just ends up going there. I think, like again, growing up, we'd go out and we'd go maybe to the pubs, but like seven, eight o'clock though, and then we'd get into the nightclubs maybe eleven, twelve, and they would shut at three or four. So this shift in culture for me of like going partying till six a.m. I wouldn't be able to do that. I can't do it. I get, but if, if I'm still out by four, I'm either not able to walk or talk, or I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm incapacitated. Because yeah. like that's just the White cultural house. thing. In the UK, you finish work, you go to the pub, you know that, and then you pub from five, and the pub will shut at eleven. And then if you want to then go to a club, that's when you go to a club. But it'll only be open till three, and that that's just. And then even like in South Africa, like. Our culture is also not this European... Well, UK is probably still Europe, but this European culture of 
going to the club 1 a.m., maybe 12 is maybe still early. Like, we South Africans love day drinking. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. love day drinking. Oh, when the sun's yeah, out, yeah, yeah. when the sun's out, you like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Hey boys, yeah, what are you doing? Nothing productive. I, and then no, it's funny you bring that up because the other week I went. It was one of my other colleagues' birthdays, Harry, and I'd been speaking to Joe about the the bottomless brunch. Oh, the bottomless mimosas at the end room. Oh, yes. <laughs> Me and my mates went and did that. And like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I mean, we were there from like midday. And then I think I left the Davies at five. I don't really. Like Newcastle played Chelsea that day. And I'm a big Newcastle fan. They won 4-1. Don't remember shit. Don't remember the game. I remember being the like, next day you checked the highlights. Yeah, yeah, no, I had to, man. I was, but yeah, but that room brew is is a good fun, man. Good fun. And how do you feel about the whole uh, Newcastle dropping out of? Like a, yeah, the Europa League. Nah, they're, they're, no, I mean, they're no, out. Champions League, yeah, yeah. So if, yeah, if they if they were able to hold on to their draw last night, they would have been in the Europa League or dropped down into it. But nah, it's it's. Yeah. So for those who don't know, I'm the biggest Newcastle supporter <laughs> since they got signed, <laughs> bought over by the Saudis. <laughs> I mean, listen, and that's what we want. That's why we want the fans. We'll take your money and we'll, we'll put it back into <laughs> the Saudi government. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, I'm, like, I do feel conflicted about it. You know, like all the the politics around Saudi Arabia is is obviously. I'm not fully aware of what the situation is, so, but at the same time, you hear through stuff through the media, but also, I'm just happy that Newcastle are now actually competing again. I mean, I've followed Newcastle since, what, 92, 93 was the first season, so I was, what, seven or eight. Okay, yeah, that's that's yeah. lifelong supporter, like, so, like yeah. But you can't compare to my what two years supporter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and when you told me the other night when we were at the Christmas drinks and I was what it was the Newcastle Man United game on and yeah. you were sat with Fernando and Fernando was like oh, native Newcastle supporters like yeah all right actually sure 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 but it's I mean yeah you know the, the thing is I don't watch football I because we never we don't even call it football it's called soccer yeah we call it soccer so it's like yeah. not part of my culture like. Rugby, yes, I support Stormers since yeah. I was a kid. Like, that's they just lost, how it is. They lost in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's part of it, I guess. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> but no, I, and this whole football thing, right? I mean, I, I played football for much since I was maybe like three, and then I, I played for my school, I played for a club, so I was probably like 13, 14 when I was at school. We'd play football, rugby, hockey, cricket, and it depends. So, like, I mean, I love football, and being English, man, you got to love football. I mean, you don't have to, but like, a lot of people do love football, and it's something that you can bond over and, and get involved in. And like, there's so many major football tournaments. It's always something to talk about or argue about. It's good fun. Though. Yeah. And when did you start playing rugby? So I mean. I remember when I was really little, so maybe like 
seven. My dad took me to the local team on the Isle of Wight, and I hated it. So I, I just started with football, but then I went, I changed schools, about nine or ten. And I started playing rugby at the school, and slowly, slowly, just got more used to it, got more involved. Started actually becoming all right, started improving, started enjoying it. By the time I was 15, I was playing both school team on Saturday, club team on Sunday, was training maybe four or five times a week, moving like where I'm from, the Isle of Wight, I keep saying, but, but I was playing on the mainland. So like we Where's travel. the Isle of Wight? So yeah. you grew up on an island, not on UK, yeah. like the big... Yeah, so oh, it's okay. maybe like... I don't know. I don't want to say a distance, but it's maybe like you could. What is the travel three, with the boat? Miles, yeah, like boats, maybe a car ferry, like forty minutes. Okay, that's not that. It's not far. Yeah, it's not, it's far. not far. And like it's a small islands. There's like one hundred twenty-five thousand people in there, but it's 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 such a beautiful place. Right? I mean, like, nice. You know, it's the joke is you know, come from the Isle of Wight, you've got to be inbred and. You've got 12 toes and what have you, you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that the stigma behind the Isle of Wight? I mean, I'll show you later. I'll show you my toes later. <laughs> Do you have 12 toes? No, I don't. No, I don't. Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, shit. Okay, so you started playing, like, rugby, like, 19, and then you just yeah. carried on from that and, like, yeah. mixed oh, football, yeah. soccer... Well, I stopped playing football when I was, like, 14. I didn't, I wasn't getting, I wasn't progressing, I wasn't playing as much as I wanted to for the club. Um, my rugby, like I said, I was getting good at rugby and I got, got asked to join the team on the Isle of Wight. And I do it like I was captain of school sides and this and but then, yeah, then I went to this club called Petersfield. It was sort of under 15, I played for Petersfield through under 15s through to under 18s and like we have very good team man like we didn't we didn't always look like much but we were very competitive we we got we were playing a year above ourselves when we got to the I think it was the quarter or semi-finals of the National Colts Cup now we were playing I played with in that side some players that became professional oh I played yeah that's Mark, cool yeah like this guy Charlie Charlie Andrew very very good player but yeah, we, it was funny because we, we, we were basically a bunch of farmers and we weren't massive. It was like our pack of the exiles. The pack was never massive, but mobile. Yeah, and we compared to like the Hungarian teams that we play against, yeah. like we play against a bunch of semi-obese, almost these big guys, <laughs> these big fight. Like sometimes I wonder, why do I need to tackle this guy? Because he's just... Huge block of man. I, the, <laughs> it's difficult, right? Because you know where where I work with the national team as well. Like you know, that's what the forwards is what they're used to, and I think and like the rugby is still developing. And like you look at some of the the better players that are forwards, or you know, that's where the majority of their good players are in Hungary. But also, I don't know. It's it kind of feel because it's not the first, second or third sport in the country that the athletes Yeah, it's not even like what it's rugby is no very yeah, yeah. But the athletes will go to other sports first. Yeah. So but 
I think it's getting better. The, the league's definitely getting better. So, I mean, when I first came uh, or joined the Exiles, or I played the season, I think it's the season before you joined, and we finished third. And then the season you joined, I think we finished fourth. And then last year we finished third. Oh, so, yes. But the league, the league, like, Sega had come from, like, they, they'd never won the league before. They won it two years ago. Hornflock as well. Really improving, so... What is that? Uh, is it Istagom? Istagom that has the really good culture for rugby in Hungary yeah. or something I like mean, that. You know, they're, 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 they're like, I don't know, I don't know if I can say they're lucky, but they have the facilities that... Oh, they have the nicest... Yeah. Because, like, we played a away game there and they have, like, the big basilica. Yeah. I guess it's the basilica with the big yeah, dome yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. You have this beautiful view yeah. on it of the pitch. It's like yeah. nice facilities, all like that. So like, I can understand why a small town in Hungary would be attracted to rugby if you yeah. have facilities all those like facilities that. Facilities they own. Yeah, right? and then they have the uh, hostel there as well, rugby hostel. So honestly, they they host a lot of touring teams there that just stay on the the, the site where the pitch is. Got rooms, you stay, you drink, you play, you party. It's, yeah. it's a perfect setup, and like, you know, it's perfect casual rugby setup. Oh, like, oh, class. Yeah, they're all sp- like they're 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 historically a very good side as well, man. And for us, we're like talking with my exiles how on like they're the team to beat. You know, like that's that's who we have to aspire to to win, to beat to win the championship. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we have, but we have a really big international crowd, if I can say it like that. Yeah, 100%. I love it. That, I mean, we just, new players just keep on coming in, players yeah. leave, players come in. It's it's never just solid. It's never yeah. 15, this is us. So this year, like, I think it's the, the best continuity we've had between the two sides. Like, yeah. last year and this year, the, the side, I mean, I've coached the Exiles, this is my third season. And the, the continuity now that we have, I think maybe we've missed, lost two or three players maximum from the team that started in the bronze medal match last last summer against Batter to now. That's not... How do you do the transition from being a player for the Exiles into becoming the coach for the Exiles? Like, was it, was it like an active decision or did a role open up or like... Yeah, the role is the second or the latter, the like... So the role opened up and I just got offered the, the position. And I, I was like, <laughs> I, was, I was like who I, what I am. Like I, I, I said I'll do it on the provision that this, this and this happens. I won't go into the details of that because it's not always, you know, it's not, it's it's not politics. Free, yeah, it's not free knowledge, you know. And, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, and then, then, I, then I got into that and... I don't know, I did it, you know, I volunteered for the first two years and yeah, yeah. Okay, and do you prefer like now, but you're now full out coach, like that's... Well, yeah. You, not full out, you also do stuff on the... The thing, yeah. from everything, right, and I came, I came to Hungary in 2019 and I, I hadn't probably played or touched a rugby ball in like 11 years. From when I stopped playing when I was about 24, because of my teaching and stuff, so didn't want to turn up on Mondays, like covered in bumps and bruises from playing rugby and 
not having any work done because I was so hungover on the Sunday because I had to play on the Saturday and, and then get involved with the team on the Saturdays just just so I quit and then that's that's my university life I come yeah. up with like these blue marks <laughs> and like like what fight did you get in no no rugby yeah. <laughs> and every week yeah. and like it's that it's that camaraderie that you get from the sport but now that I'm settled in my job off and COVID happened like we were saying earlier and I, I just wanted to play a bit and, and get a bigger circle okay know? yeah but yeah I think, you know, I'm very lucky in the sense that now, like, the Federation are helping me with my with my coaching badges. And, you know, maybe five, six years, maybe ten years down the line, it might be a possibility that I could go as a full-time coach. Right now, I've got to yeah. keep my job, yeah. Yeah. And you, we were actually talking about this earlier... Um, so what do you do like during this period, like busy with like kids and I don't know. Um, I'm not always, like, I'm a teacher, right? Let's yeah, say. teacher. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the way I say that. <laughs> busy with the, the kids. The, 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 other day, the other day, I needed to ask a friend a different yeah. thing, but like same out of context. So the friend needed like a uh, FIV test, which is like AIDS for cats. It's pretty much. Okay. She needed that yeah. taste done. And uh, I was like, yo, I, I might ask some people who have cats just like for the test or like where I can go for the test. Right. I messaged this, this friend. She adopted two cats. I'm like, do you know where a friend can get an AIDS test? <laughs> <laughs> Fool in my head. Yeah. Like, I, if I be like a feline fucking AIDS, <laughs> end up asking for AIDS. And then... As I'm reading what I wrote, I'm like, oh, <laughs> context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're a teacher right now. And then you brought up like behavioral issues start like more in the winter with like the sun going down. I find that so interesting. Like, I, I think so it, wait, what do you do? Like, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm a secondary school teacher. I teach biology, chemistry and physics at international schools. So it's all in English, but as a leadership role as well I guess so I'm ahead of the year 8 and year 9 so I am responsible for like the pastoral care of maybe 60 to 80 kids something around there I'm not specific on the number but yeah so I mean I'm pretty shitty when it gets dark and miserable in in the winter and it's cold and that 4pm 4pm it's black like still now I've been in Hungary for like what 3 almost 4 years I, I have not it's still, it's still a struggle till this day. It's that, oh. it's that time of the year now where if I, I leave my flat maybe about seven, part, like between seven and ten past seven, walk down to the bus and it's dark. And now That's when, when sunrise starts. And yeah. when I get home now, it's still dark. So like when I'm out and the light is, it's just work and work. And so it, it gets a bit tiresome, but the kids, I think... You know they're affected, and like you know, when I'm talking to you about dealing with behavioural issues, it's it's stupid shit. You know, like stuff for me that I would think, you know, if I did that, it's it's, it's low level stuff, man. Oh, okay. like we're in such a nice school, and such nice kids and their families, and it's all low level stuff. I mean, there's stuff that I used to get up to, 
Because in comparison was just like, you know, <laughs> different I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, my mother was, she she probably had many sleepless nights because of the stuff that I got up to. But yeah, so, but yeah, I do think that, what is it, there's seasonal depression. Or yeah, the winter depression. 100% stuff, I think. Because uh, I wouldn't think you would actually like see it happen, like, Everyone knows about winter depression, yeah. but you never see the consequences of it. You know, it's not like, you know, the sun goes down at four. It's never sunny. It's shitty weather. It's raining, snowing. It was actually snowing the other day. That was yeah. impressive. It never snows. But yeah, stuff like that. And then you don't expect it to actually come up in behavior. But like, yeah. I just think we're creatures of routine, you know. Once you've got your routine of like, I don't know. You get up, you do this as, as a kid. You get up, you eat breakfast, you get in your car, you go to school, you're at school, then you go home. Like, once that routine has to change a bit because of the environment, it takes a little bit of time to adapt. But also at the same time, at this point in the year, and I was saying this to you earlier, they've now adapted to the school and the environment of the school. And like, if they're like me, as I was a kid, now they're going to test. Now they're going to get bored and they're going to try and occupy... Groggy, yeah. Yeah, but they're going to occupy themselves and maybe they'll get, like, like, say, groggy or just, like... I think the thing is, like, you know, we, I teach biology and at the moment, one of my year 11 classes, we're talking about negative feedback and all this, like, diabetes and that. And I was talking to one of them, I was like, you know, I don't actually know of anything about a positive feedback mechanism in biology. And this... 15 year old girl goes, sir, it's where women and oxytocin and when they're being pregnant, like, it's a positive feedback mechanism that allows them to carry on giving birth because the oxytocin, I was like, Fuck, that's amazing. What my example was, my example of a positive feedback loop was, you know, when, when you wind someone up and you just like, you're having so much fun, you keep winding them up and you're winding them up, <laughs> and, you them up. Yeah. and that was my analogy of a positive feedback when she was just like, oxytocin, so I'm like, <laughs> Some smart kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're great, man. They're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I think it's, like, I don't know, maybe it's just for me, but I think, like, doing, like, a teacher-type role or, like, teaching the next generation, I find that very fulfilling for some reason. I feel it's, yeah, like, I, I don't know. know. I think you get more characters. Like, there's so many characters you meet and so many yeah, for, okay. like, a short period. Yeah. And, like, yeah. yeah. So I love meeting people and kids, like... You know, they are people. Um, honestly, fulfilling. It's a job, man. And basically, it is rewarding. But the reason why I love being a teacher the most is that I get like, 18 weeks, 16 weeks a year of holiday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm not in it. Like, I, I do give, I do care, and I create, care greatly. But the caveat is, it's like I get a lot of, a lot of holiday. Yeah, and like I mean, if I if I'm being serious, and I'm saying this to you as a mate, but like if I'm being very serious with like I don't know, prospective employer or whatever, maybe I wouldn't say this, but when when I'm talking freely with friends and us, yeah, the fulfilment is great, but the holidays are the the bits, the gold stamp, man. That's that's what's kept me in teaching. And okay, how I mean, what is vacation? Because that's like, you get summer, so the I'll whole get, two, yeah. two months off of summer yeah, vacation. summer's two months. 
Class. Right, I mean, it's a little, a little less than two months, man. We will break up. I was looking today because we were trying. So we break up end of June. We get all of July and then majority of August. I maybe sometimes have to go back in August just for doing a little bit extra with the leadership role. But yeah, we won't, won't teach really until like absolute end of August. But like teaching is also like mostly administrative like you teach during the day but like in the background it's like a shit ton of admin maybe i got this wrong but like from my perspective what i think teaching is it's like you go you give a class afterwards you need to like i don't know do tests set up tests do uh i don't know teacher shit <laughs> yeah I mean, but yeah teacher shit. And, and like a lot of it is like, and this is the thing, right? And this is like, you know, I I teach in a way that is comfortable for me, but effective. And like, how do I measure my effectiveness? I can't wait until the end of someone's, like we have the system GCSEs and A-levels, which is two like exam groups that go through. So GCSEs 16, 18 is A-levels. And you do two sex exams, then you go to the university. But... I need to be able to be aware of what I'm doing right and wrong. So that, that admin, it's not, I wouldn't say it's admin, it's more, it's more like the litmus test, and that's the test of what, what, how effective have you been as a teacher? How well does this student know the topic that you're teaching? Do you need to do anything else? Do you need to gap fill in? And it's all like, the, the beauty of my school is that all of that is left to me to decide okay. how I do it. Like, they're very good in my trusting me as a professional to be able to gauge what I need and what like, I follow a curriculum like a syllabus and that but how I deliver and how I measure and, and test and find out how I improve it's, it's really all down to me okay but like okay so then what if you have if you have like a class that fails a lot is it just you being a shit teacher Leaving it, you know, in your ball court to yeah, like no, figure it as out. A, as a professional, if my class, as a professional, yeah, if is. my class was flunking subjects, I would, I would have to reflect and think, well, what am I doing wrong? How can I make it better for them? What can I, what else can I do to improve their chances? I think, like, and it's like where I came from in the UK, where I was teaching before. I was at a school for ten years, and it was a tough school, but. I, I did learn so much there from like people and attitudes and psychology and it, it's put me in such a good stead now for just managing my relationships I'm like okay that's cool so yeah it's always it's very reflective teaching like yeah because I think surely you have like that one or two students that are like always I don't I mean even thinking back on high school and stuff like that like like, I was, in high school, I was a really good student. Like, I, I, I don't know. Now, as a, like, a college student, I don't really give a fuck. It's like, yeah, threes that get degrees, you know? Yeah, I think, and like, sorry, cool. Sorry. Yeah, like, back in the day, like, I was, like, studying a lot more and stuff like that. But then you also get, I mean, I like being friends with a bunch of people. And then, not necessarily that I was friends with them, but, like, a lot of my friends, I needed to help to 
have them pass. Yeah. Like, yeah. for example, like, it's just not, yeah, school's, that, school's not sometimes for people. Sometimes no, school's not. not for people. Yeah, yeah. But what, 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 what we were doing, I 100% understand, but, like, what I would take it from, like, where I am now in my life as a teacher, you're, you're not just looking at grades, like, and results. We, we have this metric, or, like, it's called value-added. So, say you come to me as a, a B-grade student, and I'll get you to an A grade. You added that, value. I've added value. But if I get an E grade student to a C grade, that's better than what I did for you as moving you from a B to an A. Okay. It's the levels of progression that you make. And that's like, look, it's, you know, there's many, much, much research about this. And, and like the Fisher Family Value Trust and this. And yeah, it's, it's big, it's a big metric, but. A lot of the institutions in the UK or, you know, the teaching, way of teaching is still all about outcomes and not necessarily how much progress and value uh, you add to a student. That makes sense. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, if you all you care about is the A's and then, I mean, fuck well, the people yeah. who got the D's. Like, you know, it's like yeah. that. That's I mean, I was never going to get an A in art, right? Me, personally, as a student, I would never get an A as well. Yeah. Never. But I mean, and that might be because of interest, lack of talent, lack of like just both with just it, and just yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. Sometimes so then you just yeah, not creative people, yeah, exactly. But then you you get it's all about a lot of weighing and just making that progression valued for the kids, you know. Oh, shit. Yeah, like actually, I don't know why it's dawning on me now. I uh, this value added thing. I think like that's one thing that a teacher can really help with. So I had this teacher from Louise Hartung. Yeah. She she gave me accounting. She yeah. Gave yeah. Me accounting. Now I came in. Now I I have a really good. I think it's right sided brain, which is like good in math, or it's left sided. Yeah. I might be mistaken. One of the two. <laughs> one of yeah. is for creative. One is for like math. But I'm like math and like logical thinking and stuff uh-huh. like that. Uh huh. I'm I'm pretty good in that. That's yeah, like yeah. my. And now, pretty much now, I go into accounting. It's my last year of high school. And I get like, shit, man. I get first test, I get like 60. Get uh-huh. like a 60, which is, uh, for my standards, very shit. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, for other people, I understand how accounting is not that. And I remember she sat me one time after class and she was like, listen, listen. I see potential in you. You're just not doing work. You're just fucking around. <laughs> yeah, That's what yeah, you're yeah. doing. Like, <laughs> realistically. I can't imagine yeah, that. yeah, like, there's, there's, like, you can be good in uh, accounting, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're not allowing yourself to be good. And then she pretty much, like, drilled into my mind that, listen, do good. Do, do fucking good. Like yeah. that's and then there was a point, there's a point where I mean shit. Not to brag or shit, but like I got like third in the country for like my second accounting paper yeah. at the end of high school, and it was not necessarily that I liked accounting, but I I do love accounting. I do have a, a like thing for that type of it satisfies me to. At the end, like balance, balancing tables when you need to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. It's not supposed to balance or you like, it's not balancing and then you fix it and it balance. Oh yeah. 
that that I did like anything anything performance based is so so crucial about your mindset like if you want to do something you want to do it well if you bring a positive mindset to that you'll do it and as a coach of rugby and coach of science or whatever as long as I can get the mindset for learning for improvement for reflection in your students like they they will always perform better but I think you also need yeah you need like that vessel like sometimes students don't have that mindset built into them yeah, yeah. and then they need like that you know that yeah. elbow hey yeah, yeah, yeah. climb climb in this climb with me on this ride yeah. let me let for me, me for me at school and like I I specifically remember two teachers saying to me you're a waste of space you're a fucking loser you're not gonna do anything and then I was like alright I'll prove you wrong and I've got A's in their subjects and that's just what I needed I needed the challenge because and when it becomes personal for me I'm, I'm just like but not a lot of kids are like that no, I, think, yeah. I think I think if I like if that if I ended up with a 60 like that first list and that teacher didn't at the end like leave me after class or whatever and didn't like give me that positive talk I would probably drop the subject I would be <laughs> like you know what I don't care about your subject. Cheers. I have something else yeah. to do. I mean, you know? the, the funny thing, what I'm laughing at is there when, when you say, oh, I've got 60. 60% in a UK university is a 2 1, right? which is the second highest degree you can get, the second highest result. 70% is a first. So 70% above, you, you're flying in the UK. But what about like, no, does it stop at 70 or does yeah, it go 70, 80, 90? No, 70 to 100 is all the same grade. Oh. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, I mean, that's, yeah. typically you pass a univers- uh, a course in the UK with 40%, you'll get a third. And then, I mean, it's 50, 50 to 60 is a 2-2. Two, two. No, well, 45 to 55 is a 2-2, two, two, then 55, 60 is a 2-1. No, yeah, so, sorry, 60 to 70 is a 2-1, and then above 70 you get your first. And then that's like for college or like for that's high school? University. Yeah, university. Yeah, but I'm talking that's about your, high school. Like high yeah, school yeah. is a bit different. But like university now, oh yeah, I get the two twos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. like, <laughs> do I get a two two? Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and this is a thing when, when I was at uni, and it, fuck right, this was what, 2005, man. And, uh, like my first year at uni was about just. Getting off the other white, like we said, going to Plymouth, drinking, partying, playing a bit of rugby, and like I, I in my mind, I, I, I didn't. My first year didn't even count towards my final year grade. Yeah. So like I had to do, I had to make sure I passed one course, which was the practical module in the biological sciences, and did that. Second year. I was like, fuck this, I'm, I'm just going to sit at home, play a lot of games. I played a lot of games, a lot of football manager, a lot of Counter-Strike. So I was, like, this is before the eSports era, though, but, like... Some CSGO, yeah. Mate, no, I, was, I was fucking good at Counter-Strike. I was, like, I don't... Like, I was just playing once, and this guy is, like, on the chat, how the fuck have you got a command, like, a command rate of 78? I had no idea what that meant, but Perry was very good. But then I'd do that, and i play rugby, and i stopped going to university. And then... 
I found out that I could change course at the end of the second year. Okay. So I changed course. But then two of my modules were capped for the, my actual second year. So I appeared my second year at university. And then did my second year exams, got into the third year, and like, the realisation of it was like, fuck, I actually have to do shit now. <laughs> and then, like, I didn't want to... Like, I, I, I ended up with a 2-2, two, two, but, like... I was like half a percent away from a 2-1, which would have been fucking great considering that I had two modules capped at 40% because I repeated them in my repeated year whatever. But then I got my dissertation published, which was like a lot of fun. What is a dissertation? Like, um, so one module, one module in your university course and it's like a project that you do. Is it like a paper you write or something so it was like worth, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was worth like almost two thirds of your final year grade. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, not published by MRSA. A lot of fun. Nice. Um, yeah. uh, multiple resistance. Yeah, yeah. Methicillin resistance. Staphylococcus aureus. Yeah, yeah. Literally doing bacteriology. I'm writing like bacteriology like Monday or something. The Tuesday. But yeah, we're learning about bacteriology for a reason now. But yeah. But I think, fucking man, and this, this, the weirdest thing, right, was my mother's father was also, like, he went into microbiology. I had no idea. And then when I started my master's, I was at this University of Kent, and my grandfather's name was on the wall. What the fuck's that about? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who's this guy? <laughs> And then at the same yeah. time, my cousin was also on another picture of the wall where she had done a PhD within microbiology. Also microbiology. Wow, yeah. interesting. Crazy shit, man. That must have been like, what? how did that happen? Yeah, like, how it's fucking did... weird, man. <laughs> I tell you, the weirdest thing like that is when I, again, when I came in, there's this sketch. So I work at the school that, I, that one of my friends, she... I met this girl in the, in the UK in Canterbury. Good friends with her. Used to was with her best mate for a while. And then I came out and I went to this rave, the strong bass rave, A thirty eight. I can't remember who was playing. I think it might have been Ronnie's size. I'm just there, and then I see this girl that I know from Canterbury, in Budapest. I'm like, "Why, oh, man?" and like we we probably hadn't spoken to each other for a while up until that point and then yeah it just coincided that she had come back from the uk she'd moved to london after canterbury she'd come back to from the uk to budapest the same time that i moved out here and yeah it's just yeah that sometimes the world is like really small like that like it's just yeah yeah hey it's cool (laughs) it's i love it it's not uh, talking about the rave scene. Yeah, yeah. So I was wondering, so like, I know the UK rave scene, or not rave scene, it's more like drum and bass scene. That's like the big thing right now. But like, the underground raves back in the 90s was like, it was mental shit. It was like, that's when it was popping. That's when it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a whole culture. Yeah, the rave culture, like, I mean, the thing, I, I, I don't know if it is mainly drum and bass, you know? Like, what what happened around, like, the mid-noughties, like, 2000s, 2005, 
drum and bass became very, very commercial. Started coming on TV, it was on TV adverts and stuff. Before that, it were, it were never on TV, and you'd have like DJs like Andy C, Ronnie Size, um, Nicky Black Market, Pendulum, all these like kind of like you know, like very important DJs. I mean, it's so like underground almost. Yeah, but like, I mean, that was maybe a bit earlier before my time, and you'd have like Fabio and Groove Rider. I think, I think the big thing where, and this is oh, I'm guessing, but I think drum and bass really kicked off in like mid 90s with Fabio and Groove Rider having a um, resident slot at this massive club called Fabric and also simultaneously Ronnie Size down in Bristol doing some stuff down there I'm, I'm not sure but like the main scene in the UK in like the 90s was rave and hardcore like techno and, and like I find it like so interesting that a uh, culture was created from like literally just parties just like yeah and i think finding one or other place to just put some lights on get a speaker involved get a dj pumping yeah yeah yeah. for like and again and then like if i bring it back to what we're saying like you go when you're in the uk and maybe you're 30 right and you're working in a bank and that's your nine till five maybe sometimes you go to the pub and then you're like Fuck, what else can I do and then this thing happens there's this thing and it's a rave and it's like there's this new type of music and like everybody's like on the same feeling yeah everyone's like, on fucking something everyone's not, fucking like shades on just <laughs> very very rarely in like human nature like you get it at music events and you get it at sporting events where say, say if me and you went and watched like a rugby game and we're supporting the same team. We're watching it, and at the exact same moment, we'll be feeling the same emotions. Yeah, because there's just try. Yeah, yeah, and that very rarely happens. It happens with a few things like music and like this more mentality stuff. And like when you start going into the racing and you you feel that vibe, and like it, it's and like, this DJ's just spitting some crazy yeah. beats, and like everyone's just. Well, yeah. I honestly, I think it, Whoa, that I think, makes sense. Yeah, I think it first it first come out of anti culture. It was anti culture against what what the UK had tried to like. They'd been through like the eighties and the seventies weren't weren't like necessarily a prosperous time for the UK. And the nineties, everything started to get a bit better. Like I remember, you know. I think Tony Blair got voted in in '96, and I'm, I don't want to get at all political, but you know that was like austerity wasn't there and nothing, and everyone was earning more money and everything was happy, and then then you got this anti-culture of like the rave scene. It was fucking class, man. Like the I've been to raves in like um, limestone quarries, like what raves in these fucking domes like by the beach that we used to live by. It was it was fucking nuts, man. Like just these guys just dragging massive generators like to these sites, massive generators, decks, like, you know, I'm talking about vinyl. Yeah. Oh, Technics, vinyl. Techniques Mark II, whatever, 1210s. Like, and, I mean, I had some vinyls with decks when I was like 15, 16. <laughs> yeah, man, it was fucking... Because I've seen like, so... Everything now is like on that, I don't know, it's yeah, all yeah, digital. Yeah. It's all yeah, digital, yeah. you go there. But like, mm. I, I don't know. Sometimes I like 
study and I listen to like background music. Yeah. And then I, you get these guys with like a whole collection of vinyls and they just have a sound playing and oh shit, okay. This yeah. vinyl will work. They start, boom. I'll tell you, you want class. If you want to watch about something about rave culture in the UK, there's this film called Human Traffic and like, it's fucking brilliant. It is all about the rave scene, working the night till five, waiting till the weekends, going to party, doing everything that you could possibly get your hands on. It's got Howard Marks in it, talking about spliff politics and, and who who do you pass the spliff to next and stuff. It's a fucking brilliant film, man. You have the human traffic. It's, yeah. It's one of the... I actually have a look at human traffic. It, it shapes a lot of, like... You know, in my in my head, a lot of jokes, a lot of things that me and my mates used to get up to. Like, yeah, a lot of fun. Man. Nice. Yeah, I think that was a cool cult. Yeah, it was a cool, cool. Yeah, I don't know. I like the whole scene like that where everyone just goes there, and I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a bit liberal in that way, but I feel like drugs are like not as bad as they are sometimes portrayed, and like I don't know. I can totally see if you want to go out on the weekend, you have your nine to five and there's this underground fucking rave thing and there's just a magical drug called Molly or <laughs> Ecstasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. why not? Like, is I, there, the abusing, the abusive part is always like of everything. Yeah. Like, there's always abuse. But at the same time, why take something like that away from someone you know it's like i think that, and again teacher's hat right yeah and teacher's hat yeah. We, we are we are in a position where to educate youth young young people how to manage those situations best possible like we i mean i'm not naive enough to think that all all the kids that go out or whatever or whoever's out on a Saturday night that they're not taking drugs that, that might happen but do they then do they know how to manage it when they're doing it do they know that if they're not if they're taking ecstasy and they're not dancing that they don't have to drink copious amounts of water because if they do the bluffings and then you get this big tragedy that was big in the news in the UK about Leah Betts or whatever where she what, drank what too much that? she drank she drank too much water she's taking ecstasy and she died so isn't it like people who like don't drink water that like overheat you can and so they but, like but die? Yeah, so but it's, it's like it's balancing act. Like we're talking about homeostasis, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. So it's it's getting bio biological it's, in here. Like it's a balancing act. You get too hot or too cold. But if you're drinking loads of water and you're not doing, so basically usually you'd see the ravers that are like, yeah, shirts off and bottle of water because they are going for it for like six, seven hours. Yeah. Right? And they're sweating buckets and they have to replace the water. Yeah. If you're with your mates and you sat down and having like more of a kind of like a cerebral experience with your, your drugs that you're taking, if they're stimulants, amphetamines and ecstasy and whatever, then you don't necessarily have to take on the waters that much because you're not, you're not losing it as much. Sweating. You're not yeah. sweating in essence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, it's, yeah. But that's just education. I feel like they, they, yeah, it's like, 
they don't, don't educate drugs. They don't tell no. you that like, I this is this is bad. This is good. This is something you should do. This <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do. Like, if you like having a pack of gum, yeah. like having a pack of gum, that's logical. Otherwise, you're chewing your jaws off. You're chewing your fucking yeah. lips off. Well, they, lips they, your, but also, there's like yeah. theories about the chewing and the gurning, you know. Like the gurning is apparently when I was told, like, uh, apparently the ecstasy started getting cut with different things. And one of the big things oh. that it was cut with was warfarin, which is a. Uh, That's rat poison. Yeah. That's literally it, rat poison. And what it does to the rats is locks their jaw out so they can't eat. So, yeah, and then that's when I, when I think that might be fake news because yeah, what, cool. I mean, yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. what warfarin does is it like inhibits like vitamin K, I think, and that means that as soon as like bleeding happens, yeah, like yeah. you can't, like, it's yeah, just no yeah, 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 like hemorrhages to start forming yeah, yeah. because you it's just fucked. Yeah, it's just, yeah, actually, interesting thing, they keep on like drilling this in our head for some reason. But they like, so why warfarin is a really good like rat poison is because rats are not stupid. Like most animals you think that are not human are like dumb. No, they're actually smart. So like if you get a poison, something like let's say cyanide. Cyanide is very poisonous. You put it in, a rat will go, eat it, this rat poison, and then immediately die. Yeah. So it's close to the food. So all the other rats stay oh, away. 100%. But with warfarin, how it works, it's like it kicks in after a day. Yeah, so yeah. like it will eat it, yeah, fuck yeah. off to its own rat things, rat-like activities, and then die. And they're like, oh. But, like, but it's interesting, like humans as well. This is a thing within humans. If I'm sat with you and we've been out on the beers and you've had a burger and then you start vomiting... And I'm eating the same burger. You thinking it's I'm the like, burger? Oh my god! I'm like, I'm like, I can't watch this because yeah. it's the same thing. It's like if you connect like bad foods with something that you're doing, but I've shared it, then I will start feeling sick, and that that's a natural thing. That's an evolutionary response from people living in societies, yeah, and hunting, eating the same foods. If you're sick because of that food, I need to be sick to get rid of the food that I've eaten. Because it's probably also... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, yeah, that's... Shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> like, like, so much This, this whole thing about, like, anthropology, anthropological, like, studies and the evolution of humans and, and society, I, I find it fascinating, man. Yeah. Like, I wish I kind of, like... More as older, older I got, and like maybe not wiser, you know, you've seen me on a Saturday night smash out my head, but like the more I've done, like more things, like more I kind of regret not studying certain things in more detail. But yeah, yeah, because there's probably like certain things you find interesting and certain things you don't, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's the type of shit you would find interesting. And like I don't know, it's anything, man. If I have whatever I'm learning, I like to learn it. It doesn't matter what it is. It's yeah. I find certain things like more. I don't know. Certain things more interesting. Like 
But at this very moment, you know, when something can come to mind, it's not like, but for example, like, I really enjoyed anatomy that for, for a reason and that I like even man, I'll fall back on that math. I'm not doing math right now. I should have done it. I should have not that I'm regretting what I'm doing now. But if you look at like what I would be good in, I should have done math, but it doesn't fit my personality because I can't do a nine to five where I just sit in a box and do math. <laughs> yeah. But like literally I find it, I can do it for hours on end. I can sit, put music in, yeah, put, yeah, yeah. put music in, put a random album on. Never even listen to that album. Just put it on. The mu- like the music will not even sound like music. It's like background noise. Uh-huh. And I'll just get in the zone and I'll just start fucking one plus one is two. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, oh, that's Heavy the best. Shit, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I think... Like, and this, I mean, I became a teacher essentially because I didn't know what else to do, right? But I'd done some tutoring before I'd worked, I'd finished my master's and I, I wanted to stay in science. And Do you think that's also like a thing because now that, like, that you have a liking to science because somehow you're... Grandpa was also yeah microbiology yeah, 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 yeah. like you don't realize it but like maybe it's like yeah it's, underlined somehow or something it's funny you say I mean I was watching with my year thirteen so year thirteen I was teaching them about inheritance and this this clip was talking about epigen- epigenetics yeah, yeah, epigenetics and like, yeah, yeah and how they think now that the kind of like behavioral patterns and stuff and like you know, your susceptibility to being a drinker or a smoker is also now being inherited. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I mean... Epigenetics, like, I don't know how much you know about it, but, like, I I also don't know a lot. I'm an expert, no, but, like, it's also, it's very, um... It's like your genetics... It's like you have your genes that make you you. Yeah. And then above that, there's, like, the controlling modules yeah, if I can yeah. say it like that in a very uh, unscientific way like these these things that just keep your genes in check to make sure okay you should produce these proteins that yeah, and that yeah, yeah, but like at the same time it also has like a backfall to like stuff that happened yeah. in previous generations somehow yeah, yeah, yeah like who teaches let's say a dog let's say you have a dog he lives in your apartment stuff like that you take him out for a walk theoretically speaking let's say he had he does not see other dogs a lot would he still lift his leg up to purse <laughs> yeah i mean like if he doesn't if it, if the dog that is male that doesn't lift his leg up to piss pisses all over himself no yeah fucking two legs and just <laughs> okay 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 <laughs> i see your logic in it let's say if this grass can probably get it absorbed but like yeah I know there's, um, so I'm not exactly sure what it is, what the animal is called, but there's like tests that are done on, okay, I'm just talking out of my ass now, but like, for example, like certain animals would be more inclined, even if they don't know it, they will have a genetic response already in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, like, I think it's like, 
I need someone to check this out. But anyway, it's it's like a duck or something. Let's say it's a duck, for example. Uh, or a bird. A bird of some kind. <laughs> yeah, okay. They would do tests on it and like random flying objects they'll put over. No reaction. No, no reaction. We'll even play sounds. But as soon as the sound of an eagle, even though that never has heard an eagle sound, yeah. it will immediately go into panic mode of let's get the fuck out yeah, of here. Yeah, 100%. Innate behaviours are a it's, real thing. Yeah. I mean, you're looking like, let's, let's think about the Sahara or, or the Serengeti. If that zebra can't walk within two, three minutes of it being born and run, it's fucking dead. Yeah. So the gestation period for zebras and elephants is a little bit longer, like because there's less communal care from humans have quite a relatively short gestation period, and also the brain develops one after you're born. Yeah, there's not many innate, innate behaviors. That's why them. we need like parents to look after us because our brains are like, but yeah, like there's one innate innate behavior programmed into humans and that grass reflex where. Something's in their hand and the baby will grab. Now that is from either holding on to the mother or moving through here. So also this is this is something. So you get this this band here. This there's a little tip. So put your finger and your pinky together like your thumb, sorry, finger, and yeah, bring finger. it up and you have a band here. Yeah. Like not all of us will have this tendon. Like I think on this arm, there's nothing there. On this arm, yeah, there this is arm a, is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weight-bearing tendon that is not there in genetics anymore. But like, I've, I've talked to people about them losing their like a- appendix and how that will evolve into people without appendix, which won't happen. But you know, it's like those innate behaviors. Bringing it back to that, the innate behaviors, yeah, real fucking thing, of course. Yeah, of course, man. And like, it's like if. What I think about now, this is why, I mean, coaching and teaching, for me, it's all about the psyche of a person and, like, the the negative experiences that people have impact them so more profoundly than any, like, positive experience. So, psychologically, like, those innate behaviours, like, we're talking about vomiting when you see a mate vomiting and stuff like this is is all protection mechanisms, protection reflexes, you know. We have the reflex like that, but we also have other reflexes that, behavioural reflexes that will protect us from emotional harm. And like psychological, you will always... For a reason, like the first thing, while you were explaining this, the first thing that came up in my head was injuries. Yeah. Because in in a player's head... As soon as you get a certain injury, like let's say shoulder, yeah, or knee, yeah. or whatever, your how many like football, rugby, MMA, all these type of sports players never come back the same yeah. because it's it's innate, it's yeah. in your head already. Like man, shit. When I was sixteen, I fractured my skull. Playing rugby. I can imagine. I I believe that, mate. (laughs) I fractured my skull from from this left eyebrow until like middle here. Big one, man. Jeez. It was, yeah. Anyway, when I started, took took a long while off, didn't play rugby for a while. When I came back when I was like 18, or yeah, 18, let's say. You don't know it 
but you feel it. Yeah, like, it's, you're it's like, fair, you know you're fine, but it's in your yeah, head already. Yeah, it's there. It's, it's there. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just part of it. I don't know. It's I think, like, like it's, it, the exiles, and I'll, I'll talk about the exiles and injuries, and won't go into people's, uh, specific people, but, you know, we, 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 we get quite regular injuries, and whenever I get someone that is injured, I'll just say to them, look, you take care of yourself, get back to where you are, but get back to where you need to be and be ready. I'm never, I never want to rush anyone back from injury because it's like the body has to heal, but also you have to be confident enough. So, like, yeah. You know, when, when you're playing rugby and, and you've, you've played rugby to such a level or so frequently, when you're in the game, you, it's autopilot. You know what you're doing. You don't have to think about, oh, I need to actually run and get to this ruck. It just fucking happens. It's like breathing. It's yeah, like, exactly. It's like it's, breathing. You don't think about breathing. You just know that. Like, but yeah. that's also the thing. So I took, I, this is also a theory in my own head. But like, so I, I ended up the rugby. I stopped playing rugby in high school. Didn't play rugby for a whole while. Yeah. Stopped playing rugby, COVID hit, all that shit like that. Stopped at all, completely. To the point where my mind healed and forgot about the injury. So when I came back into rugby, that whole crutch that was put onto me after the big... Because trust me, like when I fucked my skull up... Oh, I can imagine, man. So my sinus is also cracked at the same yeah. time. And what happened is, like... My sinus is cracked. Okay, we are we are good hour and eight minutes in. Let me. I'll I'll tell this story. Uh, let me. Let. I'll, we have time to tell this story. So <laughs> it's, it's fucking story time. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, let's go. Bro. So it was under sixteen practice against yeah. our first team. Oh. So I was under sixteen with we yeah, yeah, yeah. this big guy, fucking Dean. Dean Dave. was his name. He's like, you know, this, he's like Fucking not the people. most intelligent person, but he <laughs> yeah, had, yeah. he was built for rugby, pretty yeah, much, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And uh, we are doing a move. I think back in the day we called it a buffalo, but it was like a pop, a first that oh. we have now. We yeah, play yeah. it short, and then you have one player and a guy assisting at the side to yeah, just like to help, yeah, to help yeah. secure. And yeah, sorry for those who don't know rugby terms. Unlucky. <laughs> learn, learn. And then the one guy, so the guy in front of me, yeah. stepped out of the way, and the dean, like, just me being stupid as I am, just all I was thinking, push forward. So I latched onto the guy and I pushed forward, and he stepped out of the way, and it was head on head contact. And it was just fucking boom, boom. And then. Drop down. Didn't know. Yeah. Come up. We do like, uh, you know, this concussion test. Pass everything. Except I just didn't know how I got to school that day. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if I Ubered yeah. or my mom dropped me off. It was uh -huh. one of the two. It was uh -huh. one of the two. Anyway, luckily my mom's already there. I tell her, yo, I'm, we need to go. We barely leave school. Open up the door, I puke. Yeah, yeah. Puke blood. Oh, uh, yeah, that's not good. Now, first thing that, like, so logic, logic is 
it's not that bad. Like, okay, first thing in my head, what goes is blood hits on the head. Yeah. My brain is bleeding. Yeah. Freak out. It's like complete. We go straight to the ICU. We run. We go straight to the ICU. Book me in. Fucking bucket full of blood, puking. It's just shit. It's just terrible. Uh, they do an MRI, fractured skull, in essence. Had a blue eye for like a week. Finished one of my series. I finished like a series. I had like school for a month, in essence. I finished my series. It was Gravity Falls. Do you know Gravity no, Falls? No. It's like this stupid cartoon. <laughs> so cool. Finish it. Didn't have anything else to do. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go back to school. Yeah. Just went back to school. Uh, anyway, couldn't play like after that. Rugby didn't fit well. It didn't like took a year off. But every time I needed to make a hit, it's like I didn't want to. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. It was just because I'm scared of my head. And then... COVID came and all these things and like nothing happened in rugby and it's like somehow that break allowed myself to forget that this actually happened and like that crutch of not wanting to make a tackle got taken away completely because it's not you don't think about that anymore it's just it's just it's like it's healed yeah, it's, it's healed in essence and then now yeah now playing is yeah. crack it as usual but <laughs> you whine about it so much. oh rich i'm so tired i'm gonna get well i'm like yeah you'll be fine mate <laughs> play eight minutes again <laughs> <laughs> oh shit no but uh, yeah that happened i still actually have you can like still you want to feel it no. You want me to feel yeah, your... You want to feel it? Yeah. You can feel... Like that is... Yeah, you can, you can feel the bump. You can feel... It's sure. like... You can feel it like that. Yeah. Yeah, but like... like I think... And like there's... There's bad injuries and there's like awful injuries and like head injuries I think are just like... Whenever you see that... And also if anyone see that clash of head that you're talking about that clash of heads it's going to be like... They're going to see it. And I, gonna... I had a professor or a teacher that would always, he would constantly, as soon as he sees me, he's like, how is your math mark doing? Yeah. It's like, he was like, he was concerned that I turned retarded. <laughs> he was like generally concerned about my health. Yeah. But like, fair game, I fucking fractured my skull. But yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like... It's truly a blessing that I did not, like, nothing too bad happened. Like, I thing, it what, could what, have been so bad. you're talking about the HIA and that and stuff, I'm pretty sure when, when I was playing, like, maybe the highest level game that I played, which was uh, under 70, under 18, whatever, like, Welsh yeah. Exiles, I, I took a hit to the head in that game. And there were no HIA protocols there, and I, I carried on, and... The majority of that game is a blur, but it's also how, the, how would you explain a concussion like to someone that never had a con? It's such a weird like yeah. It's weird. It feels like I'm in a dream, or like if I get a big 
I had a massive concussion once where I was in hospital for 24 hours and again like they the hospital that I went to was in Portsmouth they thought I had uh, serious neurological damage so they were going to take me over to the um, neurological unit in Southampton but all I remember from that was three three parts of the whole 24 hours and one was vomiting yeah. absolutely just puking the second one was when I was getting my MRI they have this big yeah yeah you, then you put it in and like it's I thought I thought the mattress that you were lying on I thought it was a blanket so I'm trying to get underneath this fucking mattress <laughs> like this <laughs> and then and then I remember deciding that I wanted to leave and fighting like four or five security guards trying to leave the hospital to, to go but this was in Portsmouth and this is on the other side of the water to where I live and I have no fucking idea about it and my dad was just like yeah you, it was like you were very 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 drunk and yeah apparently he would say to me oh, I was asking how did I play did I play well what was the score did we win and that was on a loop for like oh, 30 minutes that's yeah the brain is so yeah because like, not like now that you say it i remember from that concussion i remember puking yeah. i remember you know what that that experience is one of the reasons why i'm studying veterinarian this is on some deep shit, but like anyway this is one of the reasons why i didn't want to stu- study veterinary because i was like I will never allow myself to willingly step into a, the ICU again with my out. No, because it was me thinking thinking about the nurse, right? Yeah. Just just take it out of her perspective. I was puking blood inside a basket. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. The the person next door to me also played rugby. Broke his fucking back. <laughs> he broke. He broke like uh, a piece of his yes, fucking vertebrae. Yeah, yeah. He broke a piece of his vertebrae off. He was screaming in pain, and there was another guy that also had a rugby injury, but that was like compared to us, a pussy in the ICU, <laughs> yeah. bitch. <laughs> But like after that, I was like, no, never ever again. I will set my foot willingly into an ICU because it's just like seeing, and that's probably not the worst they've ever seen. Like it's, I, I guarantee you now they, no. that's not the worst they've ever seen. Yeah, ICU. and like fuck, man. I mean, rugby is not. It's so physical, and it is dangerous. It can be dangerous. It can be dangerous, and but also at the same time, these these people. Nurses, doctors, like, thank fuck they're trained and thank fuck they're as good as they are. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, thanks, like, thanks for them being desensitized. They just, like, yeah, man, like, 100%. They've got to get used to it because, like, and and again, it'll be, it'll, it'll be the same thing for you when you're playing rugby. They go and they're on autopilot. They're nurse mode. Yeah. They're nurse mode and they're like, right, bang, 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 bang. And it is, it's, and that's the, like the supreme power of the human mind. It's like, like when you want, when you're doing something that you know how to do it, and you know how to do it well, like high performance of nurses, players, people, whatever scenario, if they're doing something that they know 
they know how to do well. They don't fucking think about it. They just do it well. Yeah, it's intuition at that point. It's just like, yeah, yeah, that's that's very cool. Wow, just like autopilot, just... Yeah, yeah. the next step and the next step, you you don't even think about it. And like, you know, you can liken it to driving a car, whatever. You don't have to think of it. I mean... When I'm over here, I, I learned driving on the left-hand side of the road, so it's a bit different <laughs> to me. Too, yeah, yeah. Like, but you know, it's that it's that sort of autonomous result of conditioning. Especially if you do it good. Especially if you do it in a in a proper way, then that's fine. Like going in autopilot, yeah. there's no problem. But like if you're fucking around and you're like. When you're fucking around though, and like, and, and it, again, specific specific to rugby, if you're fucking around, that's uh, that's when I always taught and learned that that's when the injuries happen. When you're not doing it properly, when you're not yeah. taking it seriously. As soon as you skate to make the hit, that's when you get the injury. Somehow, I, it's probably there's no scientific base after this, but in my own head, is that as soon as you are scared to do something. As soon as you have that hindrance yeah. in your mind, that's when the injury happens. Yeah. It's not when you're certain that put the shoulder in yeah. or do this, do that. Yeah. No problem with that because it's that's what your body does. But as soon as you hinder it, it, something falls out of place and that opens the opportunity. Your, your coaches and every coach has a responsibility to teach tackle technique. Like, and that, if you get... Excuse me, sorry, fizzy beers, but if you get the tackle technique correctly, shouldn't be experiencing injuries. Yeah. yeah, especially if you like, especially like putting your head at the right side. Yeah, yeah that's that's big, a big yeah, one. That, that's yeah, a big yeah, one yeah, in rugby. Yeah. That's and then that's what I didn't do when I got my big concussion. Head on the wrong side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. bang here. Yeah. So we have a little break if you want to carry on. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can I have need, a. I need a whiz. Just, just all of the concussions. Well, and yeah, you know, we, we just got back from the pee break. That's amazing. I needed it, man. I'm an old man, you know. <laughs> but like, if we talk, like, you know, you know, who Steve Thompson is. You no, like the uh, World Cup winning English hooker. Okay, they Steve won the Thompson in yeah. 2003, and like they're now suing. Was it the IRB, the International Rugby Board, or maybe the RFU, the English Rugby Union, about like lack of care, about head injuries and stuff? Because now he's but mental or something. Well, he's getting like early onset like dementia. Yeah, that's American football. What yeah. did Will Smith make the other day, or not the other day, but? It's like concussion or something. It's I'm not sure what the movie's called, man, but I, I think it's literally called Concussion. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking Is that a new one? Uh no no no, it's old. It's old. It's about like um it's about pretty much how small hits to the head. Like not yeah. even concussion level, just like constantly getting yeah. It leads to like the brain degenerating yeah, and yeah. just becoming like. Wait, well, it solidifies, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just, it yeah. just, yeah. They did a study about it, and I think, I think, as the more re- repetitively um, impacts there are to the brain, the harder it gets, and then 
Yeah, so in 2015, 2015, Will Smith, yeah, dropped concussion. That's the. So yeah, as a Newcastle, I don't know what the. (laughs) As a Newcastle fan, you have to know about Alan Shearer, right? He's Alan Shearer. For a reason, I feel like I've heard that name. He's he's the top Premiership goalscorer. He grew up in Newcastle, went and played for Southampton as a youth, and then played for Blackburn and then Newcastle at the time, 95, 96, maybe the year after, brought in for £15 million, which was, a world, I think, a world record tra- uh, transfer fee at the time. But he did this documentary on BBC about, like, impacts of heading the ball and, like, study, the study that they did around it about how... Heading the ball may lead to like, like dementia. That I think it's like CTI, yeah. CTE or something. It's that's like yeah, a yeah. condition. Yeah, 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 it's crazy, man. And like, I don't know. It's weird because as a hooker, man, I like I used to put my head in lots of places that I probably shouldn't have done on the rugby pitch and get hit hard sometimes. And yeah. that was my choice, though, for the love of the game, man. It's part of the game. Yeah, it's and at the same time, I think. Maybe if I drunk, probably like over the last ten years, two hundred pints less. I'm like, stupid. I'm gonna sue some cunt because my head's not working properly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not my problem. Yeah, <laughs> fuck that cunt. Fuck that cunt, man. That's I mean, that's a good speech, really. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, no, but yeah, like literally the whole concussion thing about like uh, the small hits that like just add up. It's like, it's a bit screwed, but it's true. Yeah, man. And like, I mean, I mean, for fuck's sake, come on though. Like it doesn't take modern society and modern science to work that out though. And like as a professional rugby player, yeah. And I think what what the problem is, is that the aftercare from professional rugby like I don't think the players maybe 10 years ago maybe they like the top players would get paid a lot but like maybe not the world class players but the international players wouldn't get paid enough to see them out through their career so there has to be sort of some sort of aftercare where clubs are looking after players and stuff and you know there's I mean for example like a physical sport like rugby American football even football with like headers and stuff where you hit the ball like how can you take responsibility or how can you prevent that like this CTE yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if it's CTE, but let's say it's CTE for now. CTE. It's CTE. That, like, how do you prevent that? Like, how do you? Well, that, that's and that's why, like, nearly. I mean, the exiles are an exception, but every game that we play, there's probably two or three yellow cards for high tackles and stuff like this. And that's even on the international games. Like, all the time now, games are littered with yellows and red cards it's almost a rare occurrence that you'll watch a full professional game without getting a yellow card see this is where I have a bit of a see I understand look after the health out of people but at the same time don't kill the game 
where I feel to a sort of a point the refereeing started killing the game by I like okay if something happens in real time understand in real time there's a rock and you need to do this in a rock and something might happen and heads and heads might collide but as soon as you slow it down to like these milliseconds it becomes so much worse I mean and and you and your audience are going to hate me this for me bringing this up but Sam Kane and Sia Khaleesi in the biggest game of rugby ever red card for Sam Kane right yeah Yeah. and Khaleesi got yellow yeah like for me like I didn't see much difference and they talk about the referees are talking about mitigation fa- mitigating factors and, and the movement of the attacking player and, and where the body position is like and I, you know and we bring back to the, this idea of tackle technique now if it was a rugby league game like everybody's like bang and they're not actually tackling properly they're trying to hit you here and if they hit you here they're like that's a fucking great tackle they don't give a fucking rugby league because it, like, especially in the UK, it's like I think that's the biggest. The guys, rugby league is it's horrible, isn't it? But like they're there for a scrap, right? They're not there to play rugby. There are a lot of those guys are there just for having a scrap, and then you you want to coach tackle technique, and like I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a joke where like I mean we talk about Aaron Farrell and how many red cards he's got and yellow cards he's got about his tackle technique goes to on this course to um, remove a suspension that he had two two games later three games later same tackle smashes someone in the head gets another red card oh and it's high it's not even like wrapping around the short like wrapping around with the arms you just put shoulder first drops the guy like Owen Farrell is known for that it's literally like the the one tackle I clearly remembers with Andre Esterheisen is the twelve yeah, of yeah. South Africa. No, no, I saw and that. this guy yeah. is like a hundred kilogram guy yeah, yeah. running almost at full speed, getting stopped. Yeah. Halfway in run, not by a tackle, by putting the yeah. shoulder in the guy's upper body and just dropping. Yeah. yeah. But the ref didn't. The, and I, I actually, oh, that was, was fine. Yeah, it was weird. I saw that. Actually, saw that today. Well, I was killing some time at break time, and like, yeah, and then he come up, and then like the referee actually said, oh, he said, oh, I didn't see any. It was because he's the ref said that he kind of wrapped with one arm. That is all right, it, and like that after that tackle, the ball came out, it went forwards, and then the English recovered it and kicked it out. And ended up winning the game 13 12 or whatever. Yeah. If that's a penalty, it's kickable distance. I mean, it's not obviously, it was it's not like changing that. the game, sort no, of. No, it, it was the end of the game. So if it's a penalty, SA would have won that game if they kicked the penalty, which, you know, back then I can't remember who the kicker was, but. Bollard, probably? Probably. I mean, I don't know how long ago it was, but it seemed like it was a bit longer ago. I mean, but it wouldn't like, it wouldn't World Cup match or anything so yeah but like yeah I think I think refereeing to a point is like taking it a bit too far because because also they're making have you ever seen like also no backup statements have you ever seen a game in like Japan or something so much well I haven't personally watched it but like 
as soon as they play a game in Japan, it gets... You know how they like like this anime shit? Yeah, yeah, they love... But that's just the culture. That's just the culture. Yeah. No beef against the culture. But that's what they love. It's like this... I don't know. Almost excessive type of Violence. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, almost almost something like that. And I feel a lot of the times if there's a live game in Japan, the riffing turns inside out. It's like because they need to adapt to the culture, not the game. They're not playing rugby day somehow. Uh maybe Maybe I'm talking out of my ass. Maybe I have a look at uh, a, a Japanese game, but that was uh, something a, a motion I felt when I when I watched them play rugby there. No, but I think you 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 make a valid point that you know rugby rugby rules are interpreted differently, and maybe a culture that would that can possibly interpret rules differently. So so for example, what I mean with that is like there's sort of there's a lot of plot twists in their culture sort of like the the anime and stuff the mangas and stuff it's like a lot of this constant action need to be yeah. happening so a lot of the times what would happen is let's say there's a semi dangerous tackle but it's not that dangerous if that team who made that semi dangerous tackle is leading they will TMO the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. And play like background noises, I swear. They play like this background noise, like, ah! oh, yeah. <laughs> that, Finish oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like the suspenseful yeah. music. You're like waiting for what the? Jules here, what? And like shit like that. Yeah. Like they do that. And then it's, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, I maybe maybe that's just a strange observation that I've made. Honestly, about. I've refed one game of rugby before and I fucking hated it. Really? And I'll never do it again. Why? Oh, just, 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 I think maybe it was because I was refing a, a, a game between like 13, 14 year olds in, in Kent where I used to work. So they were probably like a little bit more mouthy than what they usually do but uh, but I just I I didn't enjoy it I like to watch flying rugby and I I I don't want to fucking manage like the rock and everything I'd never want to referee again yeah but that's that's literally all right that's like yeah but like I I, no no not for me not for you well one of my mates that I grew up with is this year he's going to be part of the Six Nations Referee. Oh, class! So he, he, I think, I think at the moment he'll be a, an AI assistant referee. But you know, I know that he he did the Commonwealth Games. He's done like uh, Premiership Games in the UK. So he's there. I mean, he's like four, maybe three or four years younger than us than, than me. Sorry, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm aside from him. He's good. Yeah, he's that's, doing six that's nations cool. And that. Yeah, but never. I would never want to do. That. Referee and for that shit, yeah. No. Even the refs that we have, like, fuck them. They're just yeah. like, and bless them, listen, like, they try hard, but they're just, dude, <laughs> they're just, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't, like, 
after the whole fuck game, I, I, I gave an interview and oh, when they and when they blowed on to Hornfogelock, yeah, 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 and it didn't get posted onto the social media because basically I was slating the refs, you know, and well, uh, the, even the Kedgekimik guy. Okay, this is like not even valid conversation at the moment. The Mateo guy that we went out with yeah. the twelve pubs, yeah. And wrestling shit like that, all all good vibes. He's like, you know, the refs just fucking you. Yeah. He's like, he's like, there's nothing else except that. Like, yeah. it's just yeah. that's literally just a. I mean, it's like there were two ridiculous. things in that match. The new, the new, like half of the team missing. Well, we? no, but two decisions. Like one decision where there was lat- latching on, so like they'd formed a, a, like you're allowed to pre-bind on a, a pick and go with one player and they did it with three to go around the corner and then from that phase they then scored the offers so they went round if we did that that was a penalty for not 100% but they, they did it and then the ref said to me oh he's a, they didn't happen when they scored I was like but the point is of in, in the rules and I I fucking screenshot the rules and send it to the rest. I do this every every fucking week, man. Every week I put we play, I do this shit. And the rules are that if um, if there's two, uh, one like two or more pre-bound players, that then the ball goes down. If he stays up, it's okay because it's a more. But as soon as he hits the ground, there's a pre more than two uh, pre-bound players they're just sealing off and it stops the opposition side from competing for the ball mm. and that's what happened and then they scored and then when we were like the last five minutes of the game we're camped in there 22 we had like maybe I think I counted eight penalties consecutively within 10 metres of their try line so six is the rule where you're meant to give a warning that there's a yellow Six card. is already a lot, like at least four or five, like one of those penalties as well. Like, so we've actually lost the ball within, like, maybe this is the fifth or the sixth. We've lost the ball. Their nine, new guy from the pub, has passed it back to one of their players. He's dropped the ball. I think it's gone backwards, but then it's in the dead, it's in the try zone. Right, it's dropped the ball, and he's then just batted it out of the try zone. Like that, you know, like that's to knock the ball out of play deliberately with your hand is a yellow card offence, right? To do it in the try zone where it could possibly be a try scoring opportunity, it's a penalty try. So within that five minutes, that last five minutes, what did we end up getting? Five meter scrum. Well, we got nothing. Yeah, no, we got another penalty. But we 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 lost that game. What was it? Close. So Fifteen ten. Yeah. So that penalty try from eight penalties or deliberately knocking out of the pitch within the try zone. That's a penalty try. That we win the game. Seventeen fifteen. And I, I I speak to the refs and I'm like you know I have to fucking be reasonable. I have to be polite. I'm like, look, mate, you know, you've you've cost us the game again. And it's again. This again, yeah, that's the thing, it's again. <laughs> and I'm like, you yeah. know. I laugh at the point when you say, again, because 
it is again. It keeps happening. Yeah. And like, I've spent two or three years trying to help them. But, uh, yeah. No. But I think a few of them are very open to what I'm trying to say and do. A few others just think I'm some English wanker that's come over, thinks he knows it all. And then, yeah. And there probably is some truth to that, but... Still, know. they don't know Raggy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> finish finish yeah. giving these people shit. Uh, I feel like... I feel like on this note... Yeah, no, it's cool, man. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. And then, on this very note, thank you again for listening to another GVO podcast, the Good Vibes Only podcast. Good Vibes Only. See you guys next week. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. 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 Cheers.